If you would um, let me uh, jump right into the sermon today, I, I want to um, have ample time to probe this a little bit because I think it's a great topic and it's one that uh, I just like. And so repeat the topic with me, please say taking charge, taking charge of, your life. of your life. It's called take charge of your life. And that is the, the, the first part of the topic. The second part is, but give God the master key. Whenever you talk to people about taking charge of their life, you have this interesting self-help kind of spirit that can come on you. You know, and I, I'm a big self-help guy. I really believe in reading and learning. And, and there's a big industry, you know, self-help industry where you kind of read a book, learn some principles and apply it to your life and become wealthy and strong and smart or whatever you want to be. But I've learned that to do that alone and just sort of assume that you can pull yourself up by your own bootstraps is kind of a naive assumption. I don't believe that. I think that you need God to be involved. But understanding that God's involvement requ requires that you make a decision. I want to take charge of my life, but I want you to have the master key. I want you to have an involvement that's significant. It's not a token participation. There's a verse in Romans 12 that kind of drives this point home, and I want to read it to you and kind of summarize, and, and I put in bold prints in your sermon notes. If you're streaming in from home, the sermon notes are so cool, you should download them and follow us along, but they're right there on your screen. But I want you to note with me the, the profoundly prophetic, message that Paul gives the Roman church about this topic. And here's what he says. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. Notice that the obligation of presentation is on you. You can't really pray a prayer and make it all God's responsibility. You present your bodies a living sacrifice. It's important. And they understood sacrifice in this day because whenever they offered sacrifice for their sins, they had to bring a lamb and so everybody knew what you gave. This whole idea that you give in private is just really not biblical. You people really knew what you gave. Jesus knew what the widow gave, remember? He compared her gift to the other gifts. How would he know if he couldn't see? This idea of secret giving and no one knowing what you're giving is really not biblical. It should be known. Book of Acts chapter 7, uh, 5 rather, where there's that profound example of Ananias and Sapphira where what they gave was known publicly known and stated. There's something profound about saying the Smith family donates this, the Johnson family commits to this. When they gave, it built the tabernacle. People knew what they gave. You brought your, your, the parts of the tabernacle that you were going to give, the silver, the gold, and people saw you give it. This, this, this idea that you should be a secret giver, um, in many ways, it, it kind of allows you to hide. I don't know if you ever had pizza in a family and, and everybody's going to contribute. And everybody says, okay, how much you got? And then the person who eats the most always, right, has the smallest amount of money, right? So you get a half a piece. Okay. But there's something profound here where you understand that the Lord said, bring a living sacrifice, and the sacrifice can't just be any kind of sacrifice. It's got to be holy, and it's got to be acceptable. It's not just what you decide to give. Cain and Abel are a good example of this in Genesis chapter 4, where Cain brought to God what he wanted, fruit. And Abel brought what God told him to bring, which was a blood sacrifice. And that was because the picture was that your sins, the sacrifice you're offering, Cain and Abel, are for sin. And you can't get that 
forgiven for free. There's a price that has to be paid. So way back in Genesis, that principle was taught. And so you have here this incredible moment where Paul says, bring a living sacrifice. They're tracking with Paul and it's got to be holy. They understood it couldn't be a, just any kind of jacked up lamb they brought. And it had to be acceptable. So they were all tracking with Paul so far. And then he said this, this is your reasonable service. They understood that too. That's the minimum they were expected. Verse two, and so he says, goes on and says, do not be conformed. The word conform means shaped. So note the bold print words in your, in your notes that I gave you. Conform to this world. Don't be shaped by the world around you. There's nothing wrong, you know, with appreciating the world around you. I think sometimes Christians don't appreciate environmentalists and appreciate the air. You know, he's not saying don't appreciate scholars and He's saying, do not allow yourself to be shaped by negative influences that are around you. And he calls it in this context, the world. Don't be shaped by the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The big priority, Paul says, is making sure you're thinking right. Why? That you may prove, verify or discern. That's what the word prove means. Or identify. The reason you give God your mind, the reason you give God your body, the reason you surrender to him is so that you can identify his will. What is his perfect and acceptable will? I don't know if you ever misidentified moments in your life. Sometimes you had a good job and you moved to another job, but realized now I wish I stayed at the last job because you couldn't see straight. Sometimes you have a good relationship. You mess up the good relationship and say, oh, God, I should have stayed in that relationship. And I burned that bridge. And it just it's just amazing how. The way you think affects what you're able to see. And so that's why he says you need to have your mind renewed so that you can identify or, or discern or verify God's perfect will for your life. And this is a sidebar for single people. You need to really hear this because if you're not thinking right, you'll pick the wrong person and you'll pick a relationship that doesn't advance your life. You'll pick one that hurts you. And so this is really a profound text and it raises a big question that I want you to think about. Is God really a part of your plans is he really a part of your life? Have you really given God your body? Have you really given God your mind? Here's how you can test that. Look at the way you start relationships. When you pick a person to relate to or date or whoever it is, how involved is he in the process? Do you really care what he thinks? Do you really care about their values? Do you really care whether their values align with God's values? Do you really, really care? A lot of times we don't care. They're fine, they're good looking, they you know, catch my eye, it's my flavor of ice cream, so I don't care about God until we get in trouble. And so when we get in trouble in the relationship, then we ask God to fix it. Can I get one amen? Yes. Number two, look at the way you manage money. Managing of money tells a lot about how you think. It tells a lot about God, God in your life. Is God really involved in your life when it comes to your money? And you know, some people really get offended. Oh boy, don't talk about money. Don't talk about money. Okay, I understand. Uh, don't you pray for money either, okay? But you know, don't talk. <laughs> There's this whole idea of God's involved, but not at that part of my life. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tithe or honor God in giving. And, and, and I, I watch people who build these great theological arguments against tithing. It's really almost comical to me because they'll say, okay, I don't believe in tithing in the New Testament. I believe that you should just give offerings, but give, give everything. I say, well, what's the difference? <laughs> Which ones? I mean, you're saying the same thing. You're, you're basically saying you should honor God generously. That's really why I believe God established the tithing principle. He wants you to feel that our relationship encompasses all of your life. And he doesn't need your money if you haven't figured that out yet. He's not broke. The issue is 
He wants you to feel connected. He wants, he, wants, he wants to be a part of your life. And my argument is, if God is really a part of your life, but not a part of your finances in any way, um, wow, what a relationship that is. Huh? Mar imagine marrying a person like that. Imagine, you know, you get married to a guy who says, hey, we're married, but you have nothing to do with my money. You know, there's nothing, you know, I mean, it's just amazing. And I, I really believe tithing opens for you. And by tithe, I mean a tenth. You honor God with the first, and I believe that's what the Bible teaches. You honor God with the first fruit of your increase. That when I get $10, I give him one. I honor him. I want to invest in what, what, what advances the work of God and it advances the kingdom. And I'll come back to that in a minute. But that, that you know, well, I'm not really going to talk about tithing, but I'll, I'll come back to the principle of finances in a minute. Because I think it's so important to understand the power of this question. Is he involved in my relationships? Is he involved in my money? If I want to know, look at how I resolve conflict. Is he involved in that? When I have a conflict, do I, ever, do I care about what he, how he would resolve it? When I'm offended, how I manage offenses, is he involved in that? Is he involved when I'm grief, grieved? When I have grief in my life, when I lose a loved one, do I think his way or do I have my own way of viewing grief? When it comes to change, is he involved in that? Do I invite him in? If I look at how I manage change, if I fall apart and everything is just collapsing because of change, where's God in that in your life? When it comes to how you manage, lastly, time. I'm glad you came today. I'm glad you're watching from home. I mean, but is this it? You kind of like give God a few minutes and say, I hope you like it. That's all you get. A drip, a drip here and a drip there. You know, I mean, is that, is that it? Is that what we have? What kind of relationship do you really, really have with God? I had a professor in college who was interesting. He used to always say, students, he said, there are people who think they know Christ who will never, ever know Christ because they think they know him. It's a profound statement that you can really think. He was quoting this author, a scholar named Pink. And he was talking about how easy it is for you to assume. Are there people who think they know you but really don't? Are there people who think they're your best friends but they're really not? And you just don't really know how to break it to them? I shouldn't say this, but it's fun. I have a cousin who thinks she's my favorite cousin. I keep telling her she's not. <laughs> I, does, I do. I mean, she, she always thinks she, she, she does. She just thinks she really, really believes this, you know? She thinks I just really like her a lot. I do. She's, she just, you know, you got those people in your family. If she, if she called right now, I would just say, what do you want? I want to talk to you. I says, but I'm a man of God. I don't care what you are, Ricky Temple. I'm talking to you today. So it's just that joyful thing. Oh. Does anybody have that kind of family member that you just, yeah? It's great stuff. Let me get off of that. Don't let me start on her. I will say one other thing. I did call her the other day really early. This is fun. I called her. I'm off topic. I know. I called her the other day really early in the morning. I was preaching in Warner Robins this week, and it was early. And I said, oh, I'm going to wake her up. So I called her early. I said, are you up? And she said, what are you calling me so early for? I said, to make sure you're going to work. <laughs> and so she said, she said, you call me early like this to wake me up to make sure I was going to work. I said, absolutely. Absolutely. And so she, she laughed a little bit. And then I said, okay, look, I'm tired. I'm going back to bed. Oh, no, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're going to stay up, dude. <laughs> Can you just breathe in some joy? Every now and then you need it. How about an amen? amen. Come on, amen. Amen. A little joy in your life. That's not enough joy. Come on, give me some real joy. Come on, amen. Real joy in your life. 
You know, you know how you know you know how she knows she's she's a favorite because I spend time with her. She knows that I would not call everybody at six thirty in the morning <laughs> to wake them up on purpose. Is that bad? Yes, of course it is. It was bad for her not to hang up the phone. But it's that it's that exchange, first cousins. It's that that exchange. You know, does God feel like that about you? Is there, is there like a real lively exchange? There's something about time that changes all of that in a person's mind. That's probably why she thinks she's a favorite. But she's still wrong. Anyway. <laughs> five things I want you to take charge of in your life. Ready? Five things I want you to consider taking charge of in your life. Number one, take charge of your plans. Your plans. Not mine, your plans for your life. Your life, not mine, your life. Take charge of your plans for your life. James chapter 1, verse 22 said, don't just be a hearer, be a doer. I love that statement. Are you a doer? I'll talk more about that in a minute. Number two, take charge of your finances. I'll talk about that briefly. 1 Timothy 6, 3. Number three, take charge of your work. Proverbs 21 points us in a direction that really challenges you to take charge of your work. Next week, we're going to pick up, in the next two weeks, we'll pick up these other last two. Take charge of your attitude. Thanksgiving is coming up, so I want you to look at your attitude towards your life. And then lastly, take charge of your ignorance. You know, I love this because I, I've discovered over time that it's so many things I did not know. I, I made a note in there about a retirement. I, I, you know, I've realized that you don't know things until you see it. I, I've, never, I've never been around anybody who retired and got paid. All the people I know worked till they died. So the concept of retirement for me really was vague. I didn't realize how uninformed I was about retirement until I met people who had a different view of it. And I found that in a lot of areas of my life, I was uninformed. I use the word ignorance lovingly because it really describes how I feel sometimes. Man, I didn't know that. Wow, I'm the dumbest guy in the room. Wow. Have you ever been that person? Everybody knew but you? And you stood there and you thought, okay, I, you, you know, some of you, you, you think about past love relationships, right? And you're thinking everybody else knew but you. And sometimes it's like that. And I'll talk about those things in the next couple of weeks. But let me plow back here and let me answer the question for you that's interesting. In my life, I've had plans. And in my life, I've wanted to take charge of my life. And I wanted to, I plan, I've laid out some plans. But they didn't work out. And I wrote this statement a few weeks ago that really spoke to me. It, it, it just was a, a real simple summary of why I think those plans didn't work out. Here it goes. I wanted and planned for things that I was not prepared, qualified, or called to do. It would, it would take me years to mature enough to transparently, emotionally, or professionally, or be spiritually able to manage what I wanted. My thinking could not fully grasp the best routes and approaches without guilt or fear of isolation. I was so dependent upon people and having friends to guide me, and, and that sometimes it, God couldn't help me. I didn't want to be isolated, so I invited the wrong people into the decision-making process. I needed time to grow, could not take change, charge until I saw the world differently. 
Let me say this another way. You ask God for things, but you were not prepared. You were not qualified. You were not called to do things you thought you were called to do. You prayed for things, but it will take God years to mature you enough. Think about this for a minute. To get you to be transparent, to get you to be emotionally balanced enough, to get you to be professionally mature enough, to get you to be spiritually able. I read this statement, and I'm telling you, I thought, man, that is so true, if I'm honest. Go back in your mind for a minute and ask yourself, could it be that the things I planned, I tried before to take charge of my life, but the things I planned couldn't happen because of the way I think. Religious people are really amazing because they have all these assumptions. I thought about this this morning. And, and you're so saved and you're so, so Christian. And, and I'm coming, brother, I promise, okay? Here. <laughs> But there's an incredible, there's an incredible principle that, that St. John chapter 17 says that I want you to catch on to. St. John 17, and, and, and this is not in your notes, but it talks about, I pray that that you take them out of the world, but that they, would, that they would become, they learn how to live in the world. Don't take them from the evil. Christians sometimes, they're saved, but they don't know how to function in the world. They don't do well among non-Christians and they, they have a hard time. And sometimes it's because of the way Christian culture trains you to think. It's the way you're taught to view things, you, the way you communicate, the way you act, the way you define love, life and ministry. You think you can isolate yourself on, a, on, a, on some holy island and, and you're OK. But the real thing is you got to go to work every day and you have to deal with people. And part of the challenge, part of the challenge for you. Is you're just not mature enough emotionally you still go to the job and answer the phone praise the Lord can I help you that's not what you're supposed to do you don't get how to separate things you don't understand how to behave in different places there's a there's a way that you think and I want you to just think with me about this because I had to say this about myself there's a way that I process you're not professional enough you're you're, you're not willing you're not willing to go far enough to change the things that could bring blessings to your life. And I'm going to talk about that later on when I talk about give God something to work with. OK, and, and that, that'll be later. But let me start with the money piece for a minute. And let me just if I can cheat for a minute, I want to show you. I have a verse here for you in First Timothy, chapter six. And when I and there are three or four pieces to this, and I want you to see all the pieces. And, and I want to make sure you, you follow me. The first thing I'm going to talk about is taking charge of your financial plans. And I want to get you to, to take charge of those. And I want to show you what Paul said about that. I want to show you how he managed that. And there were like five things that Paul said, five basic things. The first thing he said was, I want you when you teach, I want you to teach wholesome words. And then he said, I want you to avoid making gain everything in your life. Then he said, I want you to view godliness as your greatest gift, your greatest gain. And then he said, I want you to avoid the trap of desiring wealth above all else. And then he said, I want you to remember, and this is what made me say this. This is what made me write this whole section. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Verse 10. Listen to what this says. Go down to number five. OK, and look at verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of what? Evil. That verse struck my attention. Because here's what it means. The word love that's used there is the word phileo, which means to love like a friend. So money becomes your best friend. It's all you desire. It's what you talk about. It's all of who you are. Go back to the top again. Remember, number one, Paul said that's not wholesome. That's where he's taking them. 
If you look at verse 3, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which, which accords with godliness, he's proud knowing nothing, but obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, revelings, evil suspicions. It's a whole bunch of strife is what he's saying. Then in verse 5 under number 2, he says, what you want to do is avoid making gain everything. Um, useless, he said, you get into useless wranglings of men, of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. That's what you, if you're not careful, that's what you make it about. It's all about you gaining from being godly. From such, withdraw yourself. If it's all about gain and advantage, then you're missing the point. Then he says, number three, view godliness as, as gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can take nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these, be content. Verse 9, avoid the trap of desiring wealth above everything else. Those who desire to be rich, those who make being rich everything, fall into a lot of temptations and snares, into many foolish and harmful lusts, which, which listen to this now, it drowns you. So remember, verse 10, it's the love of money. That's the problem. Not money. Be careful. It's not money. Now, I want to say a couple of things because I, I think this is so important. You know, I, I, I understand that there are people who are very sincere when it comes to this topic. I was going to do a whole series on this, but I sat, you know, after talking it through, now I'm just going to do this little segment. So this is my little segment. Okay, a couple more minutes. Hang with me. I, I think we have a wrong attitude towards money. And yeah, until you take charge of this area of your life, it's going to be a problem. Now, what, let me show you how important this is. You ready? Now, if you need God to bless you financially, you have some specific desire and need in your life for God to bless you financially. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something in a minute. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Don't do it yet. But let me pray a prayer first. Father, anyone that doesn't raise their hand, don't bless them. <laughs> They are telling you they're fine. Okay, that's, now here's the question. How many of you need God to do that? Raise your hand. Let me see you. Okay, thank you. I see your feet up. There you go. There you go. It's amazing how we shame people into not talking about this. You have nobody you talk to about money. And some of you really, really need to talk about it. Pastors are often shamed into it. You know, and I've said this in all the services, and I'm going to say it here. Some people have criticized me and said, you know, he talks too much about money. Okay, I can take it. I don't think, now, can, can I say what I want to say? Yes. I don't agree with them. I don't agree with them. I, I really don't. I, I think sometimes that's the testimony of a broke person. <laughs> can I say what I want to say? Can yes. I say what I want to say? Can I just be honest with you? Yes. If you're not doing anything, that's your issue. But if I'm trying to do something, I'm sorry to do what I want to do with my life. I need resources. I'm sorry. This room is not free. Those lights are not on because they like me. Amen. You understand? And, and let's go a step further. 2,000, uh, right at 2,500 people were at the Civic Center the other day. And uh, we had a wonderful time touching hundreds and hundreds of people, thousands of people. And that's just not free. That's thousands of dollars. And uh, ladies only is not free. I'll give you the number. It's 30,000. That ain't free. Come on, say amen. amen. Praise God. But how many of you want to touch 1,000 ladies? Say amen if you do. Come on. How many of you want to be able to bless folks and, and touch college students? Come on, say amen, right? Right. All right, now, watch this. How many of you college students 
uh, are here today. Raise your hand, college students. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Stand, stand up on your feet. College students, stand up on your feet. Stand up. I want to show you something. There they go. Give them all a big hand. Come on. Stand up on your feet. Now, watch this. Ready? Watch this. All right, now. All right, college students, after church, we got free food for you. I think you ought to pay. All the college students in favor of free food, say amen. You may be seated. Give them a big hand. Praise God. Come on. Amen. Free food. They get fed every Sunday. But I know they don't come to church for the food. I know that's not why they're here. But they get a full meal. I mean, a whole dinner. Praise God. And they got they rode on an $85,000 bus to get here that's paid for. Come on. Amen. That's an $85,000 bus plus another $45,000 bus next to it that's paid for. And that was you. You bought all that. Now, you can't do it if you're broke. I'm sorry. If that's not your vision, don't fault me. Oh, I can roll on some more. I got a whole lot more I can say. <laughs> 2,000 people out here a few weeks or months ago, uh, we, we, we gave 1,000 uniforms away. 1,000 kids in this town go to school wearing our clothes, praise God. And that's not free either. Come on, amen. That's not free. I ain't through yet. I ain't finished yet. The land that they had all that on is cost several million dollars to get. Try to buy this much land. Try to build this building. Try to do all that. Some apartments around the corner. Try. All that's not free. So I can't be broke. If I'm broke, all I can do is look at you. <laughs> and I wouldn't even get to look at you because you wouldn't have a place to come. You streaming at home for free. How do you think you got on there? You think that camera's free? No, that camera's not free. You can't be afraid of money. Can you say that? Say, I cannot be. Come on. Be afraid, afraid of money. If I want to make a difference in the world. Can you give the Lord a big hand clap? Come on, praise God. You Give the Lord a big hand clap. I'm right. I'm not going to apologize for challenging you to give and challenging you to do something, but here's the deal. I need to show you something. I need to show you what we're doing. I need to be able to say, here's what we're doing. I need to show you several thousand people. We just touched in Brazil the other day when I was there. I need to show you some, that we're going to Uganda in, in February, March. I need, I'm in July. I'm sorry. I get the months all wrong. I'm sorry. I mean, I need to show you. Show me the money, preacher. Show me that we're doing something. Show me that we're touching thousands of lives. And, and see, here's the deal. It's, it's sometimes people speak based on their vision for themselves. But that's not your vision for you. For you. And let me say this, you don't want to follow anybody who has no personal, personal sense of value, who doesn't want anything out of life, who broke himself. Amen. Praise God. My biggest mistake when it came to money was I gave it all away. I've changed now in Jesus' name. Praise God. I have, I'm, no, seriously, I gave away a third of my income for years. And God didn't ask me to do that. I did it because I just shouldn't have done it. God, it's good seed and good soil to come back to me. But I've learned. I thank you. They have an appreciation for me. I thank you for it. God bless all of you in the committee. God bless you. I'm going to hold on to a dollar. Amen. God, God doesn't want you. And I think preachers and churches create atmospheres of guilt. And people aren't entrepreneurial enough. You're not fire, on fire enough. You're not taking charge of your life. Listen to me. Take charge of your life. You mad about them not giving you $2 an hour? Go work and make three. Amen. Come on. Amen. Take charge. No, 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 no. Don't just clap. Say it with him, please. Say, I must, I must take, charge take charge of my life. Of my life. Now, let me show you how to do that. Let me show you. Follow me. First, you got to do take charge of your plans. It starts with your work plans. Get real practical for you. I'm going to ask you four questions. I want you to think about. Number one, what can you do? Have you sown enough to develop a marketable skill? 
Here's what the Bible says, Galatians 6 and 7. Be not deceived, whatsoever a man sows, that's what he reaps. Do you have enough skills? Do you have enough skills? Number two, what does that pay? What does that pay? What does that skill pay? Are you skilled at your work? Now listen to this, this is important. Based on your employer, your salary reflects the cash value of your current skills. Now you may not like it, you may disagree, I get that. But based on your current skills, your employer says, now if you don't agree with them, quit and get another job, but this is what your employer says. Now here's what I want you to do. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna let you start a business, okay? Now you just need to follow me and do what I, just follow me along. Your last name is Gulfstream. What's your last name? Gulfstream. And your first name is? Oh Lord, that's bad, that's bad. <laughs> One more time, what is your first name? Okay, Lord Jesus, help these people. I ask you one question. Everybody should know the answer to this. You should, you're going to pass, I promise, okay? You ready? On the count of three, you're going to say your first name. One, two, three. There you go. Now, you're going to say it together, right? Your last name is what? Gulfstream. Your first name is? Let's say it all together. Your name is? There you go. What's, what's your name? Martin what? Thank you, sir. Martin Gulfstream. I want to work for you. I want you to hire me. What's your first name? Sean what? Sean Gulfstream. I want to get a job with you, man. I'm going to apply at Sean Gulfstream. And when I apply at Ayana Gulfstream, say it with pride, girl. Ayana Gulfstream, right? I want to be a pilot and I want to work for you. I'm applying, but I only have maintenance experience. <laughs> Why are you laughing at my dream, huh? Now, here's the problem. Now, I want to start at about $85,000 a year. Maintenance. You're shaking your head. No, I'm not starting at 85. Okay, 80, okay, I'll take 84. <laughs> See, now, now, now notice, her problem is I'm not qualified. I have not sown at that level, and so I can't expect to go in there and make that kind of money Coming in and maintenance, nothing wrong with maintenance, honorable work. I've done it, I understand it, appreciate it. But to be honest, that skill does not bring that kind of income on the front end. Start your own business, it could one day. But I want you to understand the power, the power of being clear what you can do, what that pays, and what are your options. That's the third question. There's a guy, Luke 15, the prodigal son. The prodigal son was interesting. The prodigal son, when he went home, he went away from home, took his inheritance, wasted it all. He came to himself and he said, I'm going back home. He said, I'm going back home. That's an option I have. You know, it's amazing how sometimes people don't take the options. You, you, you're so, you're so limited. Your choices, you have this idea that I don't want to do that, so you won't even consider it. This guy was humble enough, and it took, it took humiliation. It took him going through this process where he said, you know, I need to go back home. I need to go back to a place. I misjudged this. I misjudged my skills. I overestimated my talents. I needed to stay home with my father. And that, my friend, is a profound option. And I see this all the time with people who are in a bad place. 
and they will not consider all their options. They're too proud, too proud to. So what distance will you go? You know, I, I have the strong view that um, a lot of families don't succeed because they won't go far enough. They will not go far enough. They will not work hard enough. They will not engage the issue in a way that says there's no limit. I have a very strong conviction that I need to be willing to go as far as necessary to get it done. And there's something about being that way as a parent. There's something about being that way in, in business. There's something about being that way in life. Taking charge of your life and saying, I so dislike where I'm at. I so dislike the way this house is kept. I so dislike the way I, the way I feel physically. I mean, I'm, serious. I'm going through this thing right now. I'm telling you, 57 is different. Stuff will hurt you that you didn't know could hurt. <laughs> I'm serious. It's amazing. I mean, I mean, something hurt me yesterday. It, had, it jumped on me. I said, what, what in the world? I, what? I, I was hurting. I woke up hurting. Hey, back, stiff, everything. I said, this is the devil. <laughs> and then, you know, <laughs> I didn't do anything. I thought, would well, it be different if I wasn't trying to take care of myself? I exercise. I eat right, try to do right, and still it hurts. I said, you know, you better get on that floor and stretch. You have to get on that floor. You have to get all the way down and stretch all the way out. Man, I'm telling you. And then, and then the stomach, it, it just ain't safe. <laughs> you just that ain't safe. I'm doing pretty good. Ain't bad, you know. It ain't bad. Y'all can look at it. It ain't that bad. But it's the devil sometimes. Eat one thing. It's <laughs> okay, just, 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 just up that jacket. Boy, look out. 57. I see why people all banged up, teeth fall out their mouth, everything. It's just every, everything. Listen, everything. You don't do the right thing. Young people, you can play if you want to. I'm telling you. You get to my age, it's going to show. Skin be all crinkled up and eyes, everything. Man, I have to lotion up everything. Feet. You know, look, looked at my feet one day. Alligator. Alligator. <laughs> I, w I, I cut myself. Did like that. Cut myself. <laughs> you too manly. You better get some lotion, man. You need some lotion. You need some. I saw a guy one day. She had some moccasins on. I said, now you know you should cover those feet up, brother. <laughs> He looked like a walking alligator. I could not believe. I mean, it was feet was so. I said, I said, oh my god. <laughs> Christina is so sickening. I'm, I'm gonna get off this. Christina is so sickening. Christina, Daddy, where are you going? Come here. Come here. You know, first of all, I don't like the way she talks to me sometimes. You know what I mean? Look, like, I'm your dad. Let me talk about come here. Come here. She come grab me. Come here. Come here. Come here. Come here. Show you. Come here. Come here. Come here. Let me show you. Let me show what she does to me. Get up here. Let me show you. Get up here. And she don't like the way my hands look. Come here. Where you going? Where you going like this here? You can't be going out there preaching with them old, oh, you can't. Give me some lotion, mama. Give me some lotion. <laughs> and then she get the lotion. <laughs> I said, what's wrong with you? Don't be talking to me like that. I'm your father. You are a rusty father. You need to put some lotion on. <laughs> and this is classic. You're not going to embarrass me. Oh, Lord. I'm not... <laughs> I'm embarrassing you. You know, this stuff, I'm, I'm telling you, 57, things change. And I, sometimes I look at it, I say, girl, back up off me now. You better back up. 
<laughs> she taking charge of me. Ricky don't care. I don't care about it. It's fine. Christina, whole another story. Praise God. Everybody say, move on, preacher. Come on, move on, move on. Okay, I got to finish. The last thing I want to say is, that, okay, you take charge of your plans, and here's what you do. You give God something to work with. So you take charge and give, give God something to bless. If you don't plan, if you don't have a plan, listen to me, if you don't have a plan, there's nothing to bless. If you don't have a plan, and so you can sit there and say, my money is bad. Okay, but what's your plan? What is your plan? What plans do you have? Okay, next year, how much money do you plan to make? Just write it down. You, don't even, you haven't even written it down. You don't know what you plan to make. You need to have a plan. What plans do you have? You know, okay, I'm going to be real. This is, this, is, this, is, this is free. You want to get married. Okay, what are your plans to prepare for marriage? Okay, here's some starting points. Okay, you need a plan. Give God something to work with. Okay, you want to, okay, first thing I'm going to do is get my hair done. Your lady. Okay, I'm going to start looking marryable. You understand? Guys, if you want to get married, you're going to start looking marryable. You're going to start doing things to prepare yourself. You know, here's a good start. You know, you're single. Clean up your apartment. Clean up your house so that when they visit, they won't be scared. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's making. I'm serious. It's a part. I'm, I'm serious, man. This, you plan. You plan. If you want to make some money, you sit down. But I don't have to get a piece of paper and write something. I want to make five extra dollars. What can you do? A plan. Give God something to work with. You're praying, but you're not doing anything. Be ye doers of the word. Be ye doers of the word. Be ye doers, not just talkers. You're talking, but you're not doing it. Here's what he says. Proverbs chapter 21. Where he's going. God blesses the diligent planner. That's the first thing I want you to understand. God blesses the diligent planner. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. But everyone who's hasty... Become, comes only to poverty. It, you, know, you, you don't need to just be responding to stuff. You need to be a planner. Number two, God blesses the advanced planner. Luke chapter 14, verse 28. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? There's something about learning how to plan in advance. Get in front of it. Get in front of it. Look, you, you gotta get, you heard me say it. Tempo, you've been giving away all your money. Stop it, dude. You know, stop it. Come on, man. You can't keep doing that. You know, you, get, I, I'm doing it before it's too late. There's something about being in front of it. I really think the plans we're making now for the church are smart. I think they're smart because it's like, okay, don't overbuild, you know, and build cash. Get, do, do it smart. You know, get the congregation to understand the power of giving. Teach this principle now so that 20 years from now, it won't be a problem. You keep you, you get, in, get in front of it. Advanced planning. Some of you are not doing that. You're not, you're not planning in advance. You're waiting for God to show up. I, I just, you know, I, have a, I, I train pastors. I teach pastors. And I want to say, what are you teaching next week? They don't know. I said, well, how about just write something down? Let's just make up something. You know, I don't care what you do. You know, let's just have an, a goal. I mean, you can change it. You know, God's not going to get you. You know, you can write it down. They, they get on me. They say, you know, you're so organized. You, you know, you plan your sermons out a year in advance. You know what I do? Twelve things they need to know. One, two, three, four. It's a plan. It may not work. I can change it. But at least I have a plan. At least I know where I'm going. Come on, say amen. At least I know where I think I want to go. You don't have a plan. You're praying with, listen to me, you're praying without a plan. You're praying without a plan. Pray. Look, look, look. If you, you cannot, you have, there's nothing to work with. There's nothing to work with. 
There's absolutely nothing to work with. There's absolutely nothing to work with. God blesses the prepared. Proverbs 24, 27. Prepare your work. Prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field. Get everything ready for yourself, for you, for you, for you in the field. And after that, build your house. Prepare. Number four, God blesses what fits his purpose. This is important because there's a whole series I'm going to do in a few months on this whole idea of purpose because that's part of our theme for next year. What is your purpose? Why are you here? Why are you here? What is your purpose? What, what, what purpose do you bring? This year I told you the theme was, you write the question, you look in the mirror, is that the person you dreamed you'd be? If not, what happened? And all year I've been teaching on that, right? What happened to me? What happened to my money? What happened to my family? What happened to my children? Right? And then I told you, we switched and said, now what to do about what happened? I said, rethink everything, right? Rethink the road you're on. Rethink your choices. Rethink how you fight. Now, as I close the year, I'm telling you what you should do about what happened to you is take charge. Take charge of your life. Take charge of the family gumbo. Take charge of your, of your, take charge of your life. Take charge. I'm trying to show you this is how you fix it. And there's something about at least taking people on a journey where they at least kind of know where they're going. I mean, that's what frustrates families, wives, children, employees, employers. We don't know where we're going. At least, look, look. Choose a direction. It can be wrong. Listen, listen. It can be wrong, but at least you're going somewhere. He guides you as you go. Moses, Moses is sitting there. And he's looking at a burning bush. And the bush is on fire. And he decides to go look at it. That was the best decision of his life. On, at that burning bush, something was waiting on him, but he had to go look at it. You're not curious enough. You're not trying enough. You're not planning. You're not moving. You're just praying and waiting. You don't do that. you got to start moving. And if you do, he blesses you, especially when he looks at you and says, that's connected to my purpose. I love this verse, Proverbs 19, 21. He says, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. It's the purpose. You see, here's a question. How would blessing me advance God's purpose? Is there anything or is it all about me? See, is it all about me? That's why I told you. Take charge of your life, but give him the master key. I, I'm, not, I'm not against you having a plan. I'm just saying my plan submit to his plan. I, I want him to have the preeminence. I want him, I want him to say there is a benefit in giving Ricky Temple a speaking gift. There is a benefit. I, I see these guys, man, they, they don't want to impress me with their speaking skills or how did you get to be a speaker like that and get to speak to thousands of people? And I want to go, do you really think this is for me? Do you really think whatever I can do is for me? No. See, if, 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 if it's about me, it doesn't help his purpose. His purpose was to touch your life. If I'm up here living in flesh and I'm up here impressing myself, who cares about that? 
That has no value. It has no value. You want to be, how you guys tell me, uh, I know God's called me to preach. He, he, you know, he's, been, he's been after me for a long time. He's been knocking on my door. I want to gag. Do you really think the God of heaven and earth, the creator of all mankind, really needs you? That he, that he can't make it without you? And that he got to drag you and beg you? Listen, he has a lot of people like me who don't have to be dragged. Come on, say amen. He got a lot of people that want to work. You don't, you, don't need to, you don't need to see yourself as so special that he can't do it without you. You need to see yourself as a person who should be honored to do it for him. Come on, say amen. You should be honored to serve God, honored to give your money, honored to give your life, honored to give your time. And so I just, I just got this really strong desire. When I get up in the morning, I pray this prayer. Uh, would you give me my, my chair for me? I, I, I pray this prayer, and it, it, it means so much to me. I've told you before. Before my foot hits the floor, before my feet hit the floor, I pray because I want God to know. And, and he knows he's all knowing, but I want him to know, look, ah, before these feet hit the floor, they belong to you, Jesus. Your purpose, your value, I am your servant. I don't care. I don't, I don't want to get caught up in this job and I don't want to get caught up in titles and I don't want to get caught up in because I've, I, I mentor guys and I gals and I see it and I, I want to just say, come on, it's not about you. I mean, it is, you know, you get to be on the billboard, you get to be on the TV, you get to be on you know, lights and all that stuff, but you got to understand it's for his purpose. He gave this to me for his purpose. He gave me the money for his purpose. It's for his purpose. Even the money I told you I gave away, it was for his purpose and honored. It blessed people. It was God's call. But I have to understand the balance and all that. And some of you, your dreams aren't even connected to his purpose. As a matter of fact, your body, I promise I'm going to come on, man. I promise, bro. Let me come alone, okay? There's something about being clear that you are not the highlight person. You are, not, you are not the key person. It's not about, it, you can spend all of your life, you can spend all of your time you know, dreaming of being up here or dreaming of having success or dreaming, but it, it's so powerful when you see it's not, oh God, it's not about me. It's about his purpose. Parents, you get that, right? Your kids sometimes don't. It's not for you. I'm not trying to get you to go to school for me. I'm not trying to get you to go to college for me. I'm trying to get you to go to college because I want to see something happen in you. God's purpose is to take you to a place of blessing. He is God. He doesn't need, listen, he doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your time. He doesn't need it. He has all he needs. But he so loves, his main purpose is to advance you. His main purpose is to make sure your life is better. That's why we live. Now, I want you to lift your hand with me for a moment. And I want, you to, I want you to hear something. God's word has called some of you. And you've forgotten his purpose. And you're, you're taking charge. And it's all about your house, your life, your husband, you. You think you're going to college just for you? No, what you're going to learn is going to help you make a difference in the world. To help God's purpose be accomplished in the earth. 
You have to back up every now and then and say, man, I need to grab a hold of myself. Get myself back in focus. I've lost touch. I've lost touch and I need to regain my priorities. When I work, it's, I'm not just working for me, this is God's purpose. Father, I pray for people today who have come to this moment and they need to hear you. They need to pause and hear you. They need to pause and they need to say, Jesus, give me strength. Give me strength. Help me hear you today. Help me hear you today. Help me live with your purpose in mind. Help me live with your vision in mind. God, I thank you because today you give us something that we couldn't give ourselves. A chance to make a difference in the world. And I pray we would take that chance with humility and grace. And everyone say amen. amen. Now hands down for a minute. Let me say one final prayer. Father, I pray for people in this room today who've heard this message and they realize they need to start a life with Jesus. They need to start a life. They need to hear your word. They need to be open to the Holy Spirit. And I pray, God, that the spirit of the living God would bring strength and grace. And that you would bring a sense of healing and deliverance to your people today. That the message, Lord God, that they've heard would help them make a decision because some need to give their lives to God. They've never surrendered their lives to Jesus. May this be that moment when they say, I want to give my life to Jesus. There's some Lord God that say, I need to rededicate my life. My life has not been in alignment with you. I pray God that you would touch them today. Thirdly, I pray father for those who would say, I really, need to be a part of this kind of church. I need to be a member of this place. Touch them. May they rise up and say, I need, I need to plant myself in a good place where I can grow. I pray for blessing upon them. All those who are praying about these decisions. And I pray for those who have prayer needs in their lives. Things that are going on that they want someone to pray about. I, I speak healing to them in Jesus' name. And everyone say, amen.